Let's start out with a prayer. Sahana Vavatu, Sahanao Bunatu, Sahaviriam Karavavahai, Tejasvinavadita Mastuma Vitvishavahai, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Good morning, good evening, and welcome. So, last week, GD, uh, let me quickly summarize what I had written down as my notes from last week. I'm going to read it out from, from our, uh, from the podcast summary that I had made. Let me look it up. Okay. So, in the last week, we, uh, we tried to understand the concept of Kunas and how this entire universe is uh, built up. And whatever that we see in this entire universe, we uh, sort of discuss that can't escape the gunas, and that includes the body and our mind, mind as well. Um, then then, then, then um, we also briefly touched upon the concept of gunatita, and going beyond, beyond these uh, uh, three gunas. Is there something? What is it? And of course, it is the uh, Brahman or the Atman. And uh, then we discussed about how do you progress from Tamasic to Rajasic to Sattvic and then beyond. And what's the importance of food to develop the Sattvic mind? And we, uh, we talked about these, these aspects. Then we also talked about the difference between Karma Kanda, Karma Yoga and Jnana Kanda. What's the difference? So, Karmakanda and Jnanakanda are two parts of the Vedas. Karmakanda talks about a lot of rituals and, uh, uh, and uh, the benefits, and it's all driven by desires. So, if you have a desire to do something, there is probably uh, an, a particular specific action that is determined, that is said in, in, in our scriptures, and you get that benefit. Whereas, Jnanakanda is all about the philosophy behind it. And finally, why do you have to do all the karma kanda? Is to get, get to a mental state where you are able to understand the jnana kanda. And then karma yoga is not the karma kanda because karma yoga is a, is a way of living and doing the karma so that you are able to develop that equanimity behavior so that that behavior will help us to go to jnana kanda, to understand what is Brahman. Uh, then there was a little bit of a discussion about, okay, do we really need Karmakanda? Is it to be frowned upon? And I think, uh, you know, we, uh, we sort of uh, concluded that, you know, there are a lot of people who would need that, who would, uh, uh, not everybody is ready for Jnanakanda. So people will have to go through the phases. Uh, in the same context, we talked about uh, rituals, puja, charity, austerities, all that, are they all important? Why not go straight to Jnana Kanda? Answer is, you know, it depends on different, different people. And if, if a particular person is not, uh, not yet ready for Jnana Kanda, then they will have to go through these paths. That's the uh, 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 answer for that. Then we also discussed uh, 
we were uh, uh, beginning to discuss the meaning of the famous shloka karmanye vadikharaste and uh, we were talking talking about our experiences as to how the meaning from the first time we listened to the particular shloka to now has changed and that's where we uh, we stopped off because we did not have the uh, time to continue on that uh, important topic so with that uh, uh, short uh, summary maybe we can uh, kick off today our gd in in terms of uh, uh, someone someone probably recapping any one of you recapping what it what karmanye vadikharaste meant for you when you were when you were when you first heard it or the first few weeks when you heard it to what it is now So, so I mean, there is one sort of simple way that I sort of would describe what my previous understanding was and what it is, how it's evolved. When I first heard it, it was a little bit to do with what I would call faith, where you do your duty and leave it to Bhagwan to sort of give you the result, right? Which is actually the literal meaning. But the way I took it, it was that just have faith in God. Right? And the way I understand it now is that there is a sort of, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of almost logic and science around how you go from, you know, the whole kind of philosophy of karma and, you know, the fact that, you know, we do not have any control, we have very little control on the outcome but it is influenced by a number of factors. So now there is logic and to an extent science behind sort of that statement. Earlier it was just a statement of faith which we took at sort of face value, but I took it at face value. Yeah, um, for me it was something similar. It, it was um, initially about not having expectations, right? And that's, that was my initial understanding. Uh, to now, I understand that it is so much more, and it's it's actually quite profound. Uh, now, the the understanding is that uh, it, that you know, inaction is not an option. So when you have to act anyway, what is the attitude with which we act and with which we accept the results, and beyond that, which is um, why do we do this, right? And and the understanding that why part, both from its contribution towards keeping the mind equanimous, as well as um, uh, purifying the mind. I think that whole framework came together uh, and it has huge impact uh, to me. Um, I also realized that many things such as, yeah, that are written in, in the Western um, philosophies or psychology, such as flow, as an example, is part of it. But this actually represents a, a, a bigger framework with a larger goal in mind. So, um, uh, yeah, Swami sees, talks about in, in his uh, 
commentary was talking about being in the present. So the whole philosophy of Eckhart Tolle, of power of now and everything goes into one aspect of it, right? Uh, on how to, uh, or even flow for that matter, where we talk about just being in the moment while you do your work and being completely engaged. All that is one part of this sloka, um, but this goes beyond. Um, so I, I, I really uh, hold this in pretty high uh, esteem and try to follow it now. So what the, the question, the question that you, the curious question that I have is, you know, what changed? You know, the, it's, it was the same shloka, but what changed in the whole process, right? Yeah. The understanding it from the greater depth. <laughs> Rajesh, can you repeat the question? I think there are a few people who joined them. No, the, the question is, uh, you know, it was the same Karmanya Vadikharaste shloka, uh, but something seems to have changed and we seem to have uh, derived a uh, quote-unquote a greater sense of uh, uh, value in the whole whole thing and, this, you know, um, hopefully most of us are following it also. The question is, you know, what has changed in the whole process from when we first heard to what it is now? I can go on that. Um, so one, one thing I've noticed is it also depends on the commentary that's given that explains. So since at least I'm not a native uh, Sanskrit speaker, so you have to rely only on uh, the translations. And this is like a very big intellectual work of great depth. So when somebody translates it, uh, ideally you would think, oh, this is like a two-line shloka, hence deserves like a two-line translation and then there is a very simple thing that says, just do your duty and do not expect any results. And it just stops it that actually I wish even if somebody had said inaction is not an option, that the very last part of it, that itself would have helped propel like a lot of misunderstandings or uh, further, further uh, doubts about that. So that was one thing. And then the other thing is then now reading it in a bigger context with more explanations like last year Swami D's book or now Swami C's book where now you have like a couple of pages that are being dedicated to just this one shloka. Uh, so that that definitely helps. And I think the couple of other things I would mention is also the overall foundation that you build around this. So it's at least one thing I've come to realize is not, not just this one shloka or even just one Bhagavad Gita alone completely provides the full context. It's good to kind of go around it and then for example, the Tattva Bodha or uh, something about Yoga Sutras or about even uh, Buddhism or meditation a little bit. And then maybe from another angle, Bhakti Yoga or something. And then now you do all these things. And then as you approach the same meaning, it takes on a whole different uh, different perspective that's, that's being added. Now these explanations also make sense. It's not just duty. What is the correct duty? And it's not when, when it's happiness or equanimity or so on, those terms also get redefined. So that was the other interesting thing. Everything that, that apparently makes sense at the first reading are also now being redefined with a, with a bigger understanding. So I think that over time has kind of evolved for me to, uh, 
and and i am almost certain that that like uh, a month or a year or a couple of years from now when i read it it's going to be again uh, another whole new layer is going to come out and it will it will be very good to again revisit now that we have all these recordings to see how our own understanding have evolved over this um you know that that part of being in the present and not worrying about the past or the future uh, that was not clear to me before before it was just you know do your uh, do your work don't worry about the results but the fact you know that it also talks about don't dwell on the past and don't be stuck in the future i think that's very powerful and i think that uh, trying to practice that is definitely going to bring more peace yeah and i think swami see talks so beautifully he's so eloquent he said buried of the past buried death of the past and unborn unborn uh, you know some womb womb, yeah. womb the future his language is so flowery it's so beautiful you know it kind of gets you the picture in your mind saying that okay why are you bothered about the death and why are you bothered about something that is not there <laughs> and i liked how he defined uh, ego as you know dwelling on the past and sort of focusing on the future and that's what causes all the ego i i like that part as well and actually you know that i want i want kind of to talk a little bit on that right one of the biggest insights that i had when i was reading swami uh, uh, swami sees uh, book this time this time around was that you know the way that he explains it explained this being in the present is so powerful that actually um when 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 uh, when, when when we make any big decisions right almost all the time we seem to be worried about what if consequences in our mind rather than just going ahead and doing it right and you know i struggled for example uh, to uh, uh, to make a call to you know move from uh, from one country to another country or to buy buy a home or whatever it, it i struggled with that with the what if consequences and you know it so we see just say you know, just stay in the present so simply he kind of lets you follow karma yoga if you listen to him you know the passion just comes out even more strongly i mean i haven't heard this one but just the way he speaks on any topic is kind of makes it so so much more lightier so is there any part where uh, you know uh, i understand that we do, we can we should not be living in the past or we should not be worried about uh, what is going to uh, come in the future uh but we also cannot you know ignore our past experiences right so how does that uh fit in into this like i mean i can live in the present that's fine without really uh without getting too much influenced by the past or worrying about the future but that doesn't mean that i have to ignore my experiences Yeah, the, I think the way I understand it is that you don't dwell on your past. Don't keep thinking about it. Don't don't keep reliving it. But I I agree that yes, you have to have learnings and you have to be able to take those learnings and apply them to what you're doing now. But you know, continuously trying to recreate the emotions of some past event that's not helpful. And so I think we need to move past those. Uh, 
uh, I don't know if you are, it's your situation or anybody's or even mine. I would first in my mind say it's past. I would not even... Like, I, I don't say it, but it just that uh, the fact that he brings it up in, in the meeting makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't dwell on it or anything. I okay. just listen from this year, pass it off. Okay. You know, so okay. many people say so many things. I don't really okay. dwell on them. Absolutely. And uh, for but that person... For a, moment you are, for, for a moment you are shaken and taken aback. That's and how to you know overcome such unpleasant situations. That's all I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. It it is uh, it is a uh, work that we have to do. <laughs> it is unpleasant. The flip side of it is that when somebody compliments, that's also is you know a, a different thing. It, it's it's a it's taking out your mind of focus to another place, and whether you know somebody is appreciating at that moment, you can accept it gracefully but then next moment you have to work you have to do your work right it's this to me it is very similar to if somebody reminds you of what you're really bad at or what you've done bad and yes that thought comes saying that you know the the probably the bad thoughts might come up and at that moment we just have to say we can't change them we can't you know totally change them saying appreciating or really <laughs> depreciating us. But what we can do is ourselves being in equipoise situation. Uh, but I know it is difficult. It's, I'm not saying it's not difficult, but that's how, that's what we are supposed to do. And here's where I think, uh, you know, in, in the shloka it says, when you do something with the devotion of God, which is yourself, then it's easier to do it. I, I find it easier when I practice that. It's easier to do, come to that position of equipoise. And, you know, that's how I would deal, deal with it, whether it's a praise or, a, you know, unpraise or, you know. I think the, the thing to do is to, you know, you don't want it to let that, whatever the other person is saying, to shake your confidence. And maybe if we can practice being in the present, then we can ignore those kinds of comments. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm thinking this is how we might apply what, what we are yeah, learning I, to I, such I situations. Agree I agree with you. I try to practice that, but anyway, it's just uh, that I, the persisting negative situation or the environment kind of bogs you down sometimes. Yeah. And then maybe uh, like VP was saying, you know, <laughs> it might be time to change the situation or change your circumstances as possible. I would, I would say that uh, to start with, that is uh, unfinished karma. So unresolved karma, right? I mean, so, so if you see it from that perspective, uh, then this is something that will keep going. So, you know, it, I mean, it may sound a bit silly, but I guess suppose it'll... it'll if it remains unresolved, it'll follow that that negative feedback. It could be positive as well. You keep getting praise for something you've done a long time back, right? So that is something that will follow into the next birth. And if you take it from the point of view, I have, I have no idea. You know, there are lots of solutions as to how you address it. But if you understand it as unresolved karma, then that is a start to unpick 
and find a route out of it. Yeah, very well said, Vivek. But um, that unresolved karma, I, I like that, how you said it, in both situations. Actually, that applies to a lot of uh, situations which annoy you or kind of pull you in the past or cause grief uh, or a prolonged sort of uh, down sort of moment. And I think this this thing that Vivek you mentioned about sort of burning past bad karma, I think is a good way to think about it because that helps sort of it's a good framework and it rationalizes it in a. In a it's, it's, it's like, you know, a, a speeding ticket, you get that a few days later and then you get some time to pay it and it goes up in time if you don't pay it. Uh, and, 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 and likewise, uh, you know, if you have a dividend reinvestment plan on, on an investment, if you don't spend it, it keeps accruing more dividend or interest. Uh, so, so it works both positive and negative. But, I, you know, it's very hard. That's the essence of it is to, uh, I suppose it's about owning up to our, our responsibility and resolving it one way or the other. Otherwise, it just keeps accruing uh, debit or credit interest. Sorry to use. I mean, I, I only understand finance language. Kishore? Yeah, I know. A couple of things. Um, to the question, uh, I would say this is the second arrow problem, right? I, in a way, mm. if you think about it. Um, somebody says something, it's finally words, um, or sound, rather, and what we make of it is in our hands. So if we can own that and say that, hey, no matter what somebody says or does, can I, um, can I see it that way and, and not have to react and let it pass. So there are multiple ways in which we can, uh, again, not trivializing it at all because it's very, very hard, but that could be an approach that we can try uh, and practice. So um, yeah, so not let the second arrow bother us. Um, I also remember Swami P uh, saying this, which is when, when something like this happens, obviously it's going to give us, uh, it's going to disturb us for the moment. So he had this thing where he says, uh, going from so, I mean, what to so what, right? So when somebody says this, you're going to say what? Uh, you know, it's obviously caused a disturbance for the, for the, like immediately there is a disturbance and we say what? And then the intellect kicks in and you, you become aware and then you say, so what? And then move on, right? And uh, is that possible? Right, so what to so what is something we can practice, uh, and not have the second arrow bother us more than uh, it should. Right, it 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 will it will give us that spike, but can we flatten it very quickly and move on? It would be the uh, and over a period of time, uh, when we keep practicing this, even that spike loses its um, its strength, uh, right? And then even the initial first arrow does not give you that. Uh, same level of botheration, right? Or a period of time as we practice this. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would say that there, there is one more thing I just want to point out in, um, it, um, in the context of being in the present. Um, this is something that multiple people have written about. Eckhart Tolle has written a book on this called Power of Now. 
as an example. Um, I was reading Flow by Mihaly. Um, I'll not go to the last name. Um, uh, I've, though, uh, Krishna, you, you mentioned a very easy way to remember that. Um, uh, it talks about, again, being, uh, being completely um, present while you do your work, right? So one thing I've realized, uh, uh, and I've been practicing this on a, on a when, when you do mundane tasks like washing dishes or whatever, right? There's something going on in the background, right? There, there is this undercurrent of stuff going on in the mind. And that's um, at a subtle level, even if you can cut off from that and then be in the moment, you see that the quality of not only the experience, um, the overall, after you do that work, that overall quality is so much higher when you, when you bring your mind back to the present moment, the moment you are aware that you're drifting away, that they, these background thoughts are, you're just doing this mechanically and, and you're actually, your mind is not in it. If you can bring it back, you, uh, you start to, at least I start to see this, uh, this whole quality is very, very high. So at the end of that job, you actually feel um, very different, very energized. So that's something I just want to point out in addition to um, what has been said. Well said, uh, Kishore. Krishna. Oh, yeah. Uh, great point. I was about to mention the second arrow too. And to add on to that, I think in this own uh, forum, we had earlier discussed this one very nice technique that resonated with me is to, is to ask, what is this experience trying to teach me? Think of everything as like a, like a lessons constantly going on for, for a better life, better equanimous mind. And if we take everything as a teaching situation, that's one way of asking. I know it's not always easy to do that. And, and to kind of go back uh, to two things on psychology. So one, one thing is now people are learning more about how memories are created. So apparently it's not just that we uh, retrieve. So just to elaborate on the second arrow point, we don't just what something happened is written once and then we retrieve it exactly and then kind of relive it. Apparently, the way the brain works is every time we recall something, we rewrite the whole thing over and over again. So it's like making a harder and harder impression the more we think about something and the more our perspective changes. And uh, that's the second aeroport where we think we are more hurt or now in more different contexts, we think, oh, this is affecting me in a bigger way. Not, not only are we reinterpreting it in a more powerful, different way uh, that might affect us, and then we are also writing it back again in our own memory that, that this is very hurtful experience that happened to me. And then it only comes back uh, to affect. Uh, so on that note, uh, yeah, I mean, the modern field of psychiatry and all psychiatrists are completely uh, built upon just solving the past problems, right? Like nobody... Uh, uh, the, there was a funny note on, on the positive psychology book about how the field of psychology is supposed to be about all human behavior, mind, brain, and everything. But somehow it has kind of shifted 99% to just studying about psychiatry. And then psychiatry in turn, 99% is about just negative uh, experiences, negative things, and so on. And, and uh, the Professor Martin Seligman, who Swami SPG often quotes, uh, he's one of the uh, pioneers in this field and he 
for the first 25 years of his experience he studied negative psychology as he calls it funnily so he coined the term learned helplessness how people kind of feel that oh i am very helpless in this situation and keep going into a downward spiral then one day his daughter asks him dad why are you always doing negative research and somehow that triggers a thought in him and then says why is nobody studying positive psychology and then he just flips over overnight and then kind of forms this organization along with uh, the flow professor mihai uh, and then a few others and then start studying positive psychology and then from learned helplessness he goes to learned optimism and then there are like various different ways of dealing with the past and the future and then of course the present and then how it uh, which is like all the things that we kind of now learn about equipoise and being in flow and being in the present moment and so on so and then the past they say about or oh, there is either forgiving forgetting suppressing and all these various different things if it's a negative emotion and it's a positive emotion it's just being gratitude and satisfaction and thankful uh, for that but but yeah strongly recommend that book to kind of uh, go more deeper into this to to learn about how to to deal with that thanks well said krishna i've got two more hands raised here alpana vp raised it first vp go ahead oh vp yeah so i was just going to say uh, two things that i picked up from our prior discussions over the last uh, 12 months or so um one is that the whole notion of practicing pratipaksh bhavna um so that you know alpna had talked about i still remember that example that how you know she approached one of her colleagues and uh try to you know uh send positive vibes that those are my words in a way uh and and get over that situation so i think but i personally find it very difficult <laughs> but still that is one uh, thought that came to mind as sonali was talking about it and the second thing was uh, what um, you know uh um uh, kishore had put up in his presentation about you know the types of people and how do you uh, you know deal with them if they are good people you uh, make friends with them and people who are very negative then uh, you know you just uh, ignore them so and and sometimes it is hard right sometimes in a office situation it is very difficult to ignore your boss but i think uh, i think uh, then you have to uh, the third thing that comes to mind is something what vivek was saying that you know this is your prarabdh and you have to just uh, uh, take it and and uh, you know uh, see if you can just let it flow through your system i think that's those are the thoughts that i came to my mind so i just wanted to share that thanks ji alpana yeah so this is uh, swami spg's answer um, and i think yeah parts of it are covered you know by different people but i thought i'll just summarize it so he says karma yoga way is i've actually written it uh, just below this uh, this particular shloka so i'm sure somebody asked the same question sanali uh, when this shloka was being discussed So he said, "Karma Yoga way is my bad is getting burnt," so which is similar to what uh, uh, VP was saying. But it's a very powerful way to to say that my prarabdh is getting burnt. And the bhakti way is is an occasion to remember God because we only remember God when it's tough times. We hardly remember Him during the good times. And then the Gyan Yoga way is it has come as a warning. So. what he means is that this is why we need to come out of the cycle of 
you know, birth and death. Because we keep saying otherwise, oh, life is good. Why should we even look at Jnana Yoga? So he gave this three-prong answer to this particular question. If something falls on you or something, then how do you deal with it? So pick your, you know, whatever you want to, you want to use here. Vivek, you are on mute. Uh, sorry, what's the karma yoga way? My bad, my bad is getting burnt. So your bad prarabdha is getting burnt. Ah. The same thing what you said. Yeah, same thing what you, what you said. But, 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 but is it getting burnt? That's the whole thing. <laughs> it does. Actually, if you don't react to it, if you just accept it, oh, it is my past karma, it is getting burnt, let it be. Getting over it, accepting it almost. And bhakti yoga is which uh, is very difficult, which is very difficult to practice. But yes, that's yeah, the that's the challenge. It's an occasion to remember God. Okay, like what Kunti asked of Krishna, right? Always give me some suffering so that I keep remembering you. So, so this is a bhakti yoga, <laughs> and then the jnana yoga is it's a warning. <laughs> Better get out of it. <laughs> And, and and bhakti yoga is um, it's a chance to remember God or who you are. Yeah. No, no. So, so jnana yoga get out of get out of what get the warning for what? It's a warning that this is what will keep coming. Some good, some bad. So how how do you get out of it? So do the the jnana yoga way that I am the I am not impacted by it. So trying to be established in that. So it's a reminder. It's a warning signal <laughs> that the more you think I am the mind and I am this thing, then you will stay caught in it. So, so just just to just so that this is very well said, and uh, <clears throat> but just to understand, karma yoga is uh, say that actually my my past is past negative stuff is getting burned, as well as positive. I mean, you know, if I, somebody talks about an essay I wrote in school. And yeah. that inspired somebody. I mean, that can that can also lead to command or you know, uh, stoke the ego. Uh, but but to to step away from that as as karma yoga, bhakti yoga again is uh, once again Alpana is. It's an, it is an occasion to remember God. So, it's an occasion to remember God. That there is this, yes. Okay, so so it's an occasion. To remember. Rather, Vivek, if I can add to that, an occasion to remember God is if if. If some of us may find it difficult to understand the concept of God, then perhaps it's it's just a higher principle than just our own energies that is that is not sufficient to solve this particular situation. You know, rely on a higher higher principle, a, a superior principle who can probably aid us to overcome that. And Gyan Yoga is that you know go and do a down dog and meditate or something like that to you know better. To... Actually, it's not meditation. which are. So you need to think think about think about it. yeah. It's, it's about yeah. Very well said. Very well Good. said. Thank you, Alpana, for summarizing that. Thank you. Thank you so Ajay. much. Ajay, you have raised your hand. Yeah. No, I was uh, thinking of this thing about uh, you, know, uh, you know how do you react to different situations, and <clears throat> there is one sort of uh, explanation that Swami SPG again sort of gives, which is to say that. If you are not doing any action, right? If there's no action, that is tamasic, right? So that's the worst form of uh, karma yoga. Or that's not karma yoga, but that's the worst form of action. 
So no, no action is not an option. So even if you are a sannyasi, you are still doing action. So action is mandatory for all jivas. The second part is if you are doing action, which is either for your own self, which is to fulfill your desires, if you will, or if it is, if you're reacting to a situation, so you're acting, but you are doing it with, uh, by, by, by reacting to a particular situation, then you are in the Rajas framework, which is the middle step. But the, but the goal is to become as sattva as possible, which means that you are doing it selflessly. So whatever you're doing is not for your own desire, but for uh, a larger good. And that's the state where, you know, once you've achieved sattva, then you have a high degree of samatvam, which means that you would not react to external stimuli, <clears throat> like provocation or uh, something like Sonali, you said, somebody tells you that. So that's a kind of uh, evolution spiritually, uh, which we are all on a journey. I, I, I'm guessing that most of us are somewhere in the middle, uh, but the ultimate goal is to, is to go to sattva. So that's just one sort of thought I wanted to bring up. I think the other point which I definitely, I, I thought I should bring out here is that from the book that we read of uh, Swami D, frankly, there is one sort of thing that stuck in my mind uh, at the end of that book. I mean, there are a number of things that, you know, you know, came and went, if you will, but on Karma Yoga, there was a mention of uh, Ishwara Arpana Buddhi and Prasad Buddhi, right? And Ishwara Arpana Buddhi is basically you basically do action as a, as a, you know, oblation to the Lord, right? So the example of Hanuman, uh, like the security guard, if you remember, I think Alpana gave us that story last couple of weeks back. So anything that you do is basically in the service of God. So that is, so all actions are, are done with that intent. And then whatever results come, because those results are not entirely in your control, or there is very, actually very little that we can control. I mean, there is a good example of the meteorological sort of office, which predicts the weather, but they can never seem to get it right, right? Because there are so many other factors, despite the best efforts. So they can't just go back and say, well, actually, you know, I, I got it wrong or sulk over it. I mean, that's a slightly different example, but uh, really to make the point that Prasad Buddhi is like, if you go to the mandir and you get Prasad, whether you like it or not, you will just take it without any protest or any sort of, uh, problem, right? So accept results as they come. Do your best, of course. It doesn't mean you don't do action. Action is important, as I, as I was explaining in my previous point. You have to do action. Not doing action is not an option. But once you've done the action to the best of your ability, learn from it, but accept whatever result comes your way as a prasada from the Lord. And I just wanted to add, uh, Ajay, he just makes one more statement after that sattvic part that don't be attached to the serenity and calmness after doing the, the selfless act. So, yes. that's, very, that's, that's a slightly counterintuitive point where he even said that even in the sattvic mode, yeah. you, know, you will feel a nice sense of calm and equanimity or you know that, that feeling. He says, yeah. don't even be attached to it, which I thought was very deep and profound and probably you know, two yes. steps beyond sort of where I am. But I found that exactly, Alpana, thank you. Uh, that was a wonderful point that uh, Swamiji makes. Yeah, I just uh, I was just thinking that uh, if somebody you know talking about Sonali's uh, example about you know somebody brings up some negative um, or positive uh, comment about your past, 
I think then that becomes part of your now, right? So how you deal with it now is again, so we should not try, you know, try not to get sucked back into the past and, and uh, let it not rekindle those emotions that we felt based on that situation in the past. But if somebody bringing it up now, it makes it part of now. So we, we need to, again, still focus on dealing it with it in the now and not letting it pull us back into the past. Yeah. One way would be to say, you know, I think the way, one way to think about it would be to say, can I change it? Can I change anything about it? If it is in the past, you cannot change anything, right? Right. So if it comes up, it is still in the past, in my opinion, because you cannot change what has happened. You've got to just You cannot change what has happened, but how you deal with that comment being made now is part of the now. So, you know, if we are focusing on, um, a, you know, whatever the work is at hand, and somebody makes a comment that I think somebody said in the, I think Vidya said, you know, it's a distraction from the work that you're doing, then you have to cast it aside because it's not going to help. You know, so that's how you're dealing with that comment because it's not helpful to the work that you're trying to focus on. Yeah, very nice. And sorry. Sorry, Satya. No, no, you go ahead. Yeah. Vivek, Vivek, uh, Vivek has raised his hand. Vivek, and then we'll uh, go with Sakkabarvi. Uh, you know, I'm still thinking about it. Uh, what this is, this is going back to Sonali's great example there. And that, uh, so acting, uh, trying to address it, trying to make things better is not what we are after, right? Just accepting. Is that what we're saying there? That's just uh, acceptance that this is, you know, whether we take the framework of karma yoga, bhakti yoga, or uh, jnana yoga, it's, it's just acceptance that, you know, that bad or good thing happened in the past, and that's not really me. So, so not reacting is the essence of what we are doing over here. We don't need to, I mean, no point in saying to your boss, for the thousand and one time, I've, I've said sorry, and it was a horrible thing to have done, or say, uh, yeah, no, you know, everybody does good things if it's a good thing. Um, and the second leg is, you know, I mean, this this to me sounds like it's the essence of forgiveness as well, the concept of forgiveness and that um, we start thinking about why we should forgive others. Because if you look at the point of view of the boss, who is still rankling the boss after such a long time. Uh, so they sh the boss should also but, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm thinking, just thinking at the other side of this coin. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, if the boss brings up, uh, say, a mistake or something in the past, from the past, maybe it is, you know, just to give the boss the benefit of the doubt, maybe it is pertinent to the situation at hand, uh, and it might help address or solve or, you know, uh, um, just add to the solution for whatever you're working on. So it's uh, it's possible that if we can, you know, separate ourselves from the negative emotions that that memory brings up and can focus on, you know, what that situation in the past was and what learnings we might have from that and how we can apply it here 
I think that can help us stay in the now rather than, well, so we are taking the learnings from the past, but applying it in the now, and we're not, you know, we're not being pulled back into the emotions of the past. So I, I think one way that I feel um, that, you know, all of this helps and really helps to bring peace is to always try to see, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, the good in people. So trying to give people benefit of the doubt, like why are they saying what they're saying? Maybe they're trying to be helpful. Um, it may not be coming out that way. And, and uh, you know, having that kind of attitude, I feel helps keep, um, you know, us more equanimous because we're not getting um, sort of pulled into different directions by what somebody else is saying especially in the negative sense, right? If somebody says something negative, if we can try to see maybe there's some good in that, um, or maybe, you know, they don't mean it, they, or maybe they don't, didn't understand it, something that, that can help us to uh, not get sucked back into the past or not get, you know, sort of uh, all tangled up in the uh, emotions based on what somebody is saying. I think that's helpful. Well said. So, um, you know, um, sometimes it's very, uh, uh, some, some powerful questions like what Sonali asked can trigger and summarize the entire, uh, you know, practice of Karmanya Vadi Kharasse in, in, in multiple ways, in practical ways, just as what we've been discussing for the last maybe 50 minutes, I would say. And I, I think it's worth it because this is what is really, you know, bringing back that particular quote-unquote uh, theory into practice, right? And that's uh, thank you first of all, Sonali, for the powerful question. And uh, you know, the 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 as I was going through the entire discussion, right? The two things stuck uh, stuck uh, stuck in my mind. One is, uh, um, are we the same person today that you know we 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 are. We are when we did that whatever mistake that my boss is reminding me now of. Okay, do we still believe that I am still that same person, right? And if we believe that if we believe that we are not that same person, then that should not bother us. But if we believe that we are that same person, that means we have not changed. So something has to change, right? That's one way of looking at it. Okay. Second way of looking at it is, you know, um, others reminding me about my faults, okay? Uh, why am I not able to take it that easily compared to me myself reminding me about my faults? Actually, what I have noticed in my own mental chatter is that most of the time I am telling myself about, you know, those things that I have not done right, those things that I have not done right, rather than somebody else telling me. And then when somebody else tells me, you have not done this right, I get, I get angry. I get, I, I, uh, I blast, I, I kind of, you know, blow open. And I think what I'm seeing is that as a pattern, you know, more, more than 75% of the time, it is self-chastising that that's bothering, uh, bothering us than somebody else telling us, saying that, okay, hey, you did this in the past, therefore you should be doing this way and, you know, you reacting to it. So maybe are we reacting, are we really listening into the signals? The signals can come from outside or it can come from inside. My understanding is that at least my signals come more from inside. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. So, um, you know, what proportion it should, uh, 
it happens in general for people and all that it really doesn't matter but from where the signals are coming doesn't matter whether it's internal or external and how we have to work on it through with the karma yoga gyan yoga bhakti yoga attitude like alpana you summarize the entire discussion uh, so nicely that's the one that we have to put in practice that we well said well said so uh, actually uh, i mean the things you are saying now the signals coming from outside in my case most i am a very usually a very happy cool calm person but a lot of you know external signals and triggers come which shake me up sometimes so like and you cannot control them many times it is to show their superiority over you you know to undermine you undermine you undermine your confidence i'll prevent you to do something because of jealousy or whatever reasons it may be but then this three uh, ways to deal with are definitely helpful okay we got uh, uh, sakuba raised hand on this particular topic uh, we can continue on this topic to kind of you know, clarify but no 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 hurry to go to the next shloka at all so sakuba so just wanted to add i think excellent summary by everyone uh, just wanted to add you know in any situation where we get hurt you know uh, you know the extent to which we get hurt you know is being given by us uh, Uh, you know i mean how much have i let the other person hurt me i think that's that that's what probably in most situations determine um, you know i have given them a long rope you know and i have attached so much whether it is family friend or boss you know i, I have uh, have let them i have given the power to hurt me actually i think that's you know you can uh, if if you know with with all the points that we are uh, we have talked about i think you know this point also you can keep it in mind that you know i, I you know i i will give them the rope that he deserves actually that's all and not a not such a long rope to hurt me excellent points akubai just wanted to add to that uh, the the this one nice way they put it about forgiving so it's not more for the other person that you do it it is more to set yourself free that you forgive so you kind of bring a closure closure to any any particular incident so that was uh, very profound to read that yeah very nice alpana yeah i think i more wanted to say on the third part of this shloka i think uh, um which is more of that you know in his words what this one ceases um let the fruit of action be not thy motive um and i think uh, yeah kishore did uh, cover that part in his uh, you know initial this thing that you know it's the intention which is which is very important in karma yoga and interestingly swami spg um the way he explained was also very nice he said uh, don't claim results to be due to your action and i thought that was very very powerful way of saying yes one that while doing the action also it should not be driven by the desire but whatever outcome comes do not claim it that because there are so many other angles which lead to 
that particular outcome that not just you are responsible for that outcome. So I thought that was a very powerful understanding of the third part, which I don't think, you know, I had in the beginning. Um, in fact, third part was totally ignored as, uh, you know, uh, as Krishna was saying, not just the fourth part, I don't think the third part is also much spoken about. Um, so, so, so that was uh, very, very, and, and the way he said is, that will reduce your bhoktritva. Uh, what's the right word in English? I don't know. He also says it in Hindi. Uh, and once the bhoktritva is reduced, the kartritva will keep reducing. So bhoktritva is because, you know, whatever you uh, experience, uh, that reduces if you're not claiming it to be out of your action. And if you don't claim the experience, the, 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 whatever is the effect of that, because, you know, we say that once the desire is fulfilled, we want more of it or, or, so if you're not claiming it, that, that to be out of our action, the karkritva will keep reducing. And that's the eventual aim to reduce the doership. So, so I thought that was very, very powerful. That's very uh, beautiful. Beautiful. Very nice. I mean, <laughs> uh, I have a question here. So this is very well said, and most of us, by heart, would like to follow that only, you know. And as such, as a child, I mean, as we grew up from childhood to the adult, and thereafter, we followed that. But in the corporate world, I feel we have learned to, you know, there is like every episode time you have to say what work you have done to get this outcome. What was your contribution? You have to claim your contribution. If you do not say or specify it, you know, they are not going to give you credit. So you have to actually very clearly say what exactly was your action for a particular outcome. You have to claim it. You have to claim your action for a particular outcome. You're not claiming the result, right? No, not the result, but for the result, what was your action? Yeah. Or so our result has been attained, okay, like certain business level or whatever it may be. But what was your action for that result? So you have to claim that. I think that is fine. And also because it's not your selfish motive driven, right? It's not your desire. It's a, for the companies, this thing. So then I think those things work because they're not for your, uh, I think the whole point here is self-desire driven actions. It's not self -design. So you're not claiming the action to get a promotion. You're claiming the action for the result, which is not for you, for the company. I think if you can disassociate the two things, I think it's easier to even apply this in the corporate world. Rajesh, up to you. Yeah. I think uh, Sonali, you know, your follow-up question is was something that, that has been that bothered me for a very long time till recently. And I'll tell you, in my job in sales, right, um, I'm measured by hard numbers, right? It's very simple at the end of the quarter to people to, to make out. Have you met your target? Have you not met your target? Have you met 80% uh, of your target or 120% of your target? It's very simple math. Okay. And now that's the reality of how I measure, okay? And uh, the point, the, what I also noticed is that for me to meet those targets, there are so many things need to happen, not just what I have to do individually. The only thing that I have to do individually seems to be so minuscule in achieving the particular target or the result, what is going to be given to me. 
there's so many other things should come in right right from you know the set of people that i work with to make those quote unquote deliveries to the customer to the customer actually paying me in time okay for that to be measured now there's so many things out of my control right but still i measured on that now do i take when i look at it and I step back and say okay do i take credit for having exceeded my target you know am i completely responsible for exceeding the target the answer seems to be no right and and the reverse is also true can i take entirely 100% blame for having not met my target the answer seems to be no then i am asking myself okay what am i actually responsible for right then the answer seems to be that i am responsible only for putting in all the effort to do the damn work that my organization is paying me for period nothing else right so can i claim credit at all you know for for uh, for exceeding the target i don't think i can claim but if i mean if i getting it should i accept it you know i i'll be foolish not to say that you know i'm not accepting it yes i will accept it will i accept the you know negative negative impacts of not having met the targets i'll be foolish not to say yes no i'm not accepting i'm accepting that also so that's part of it like but the book the key question is now has it started impacting me has the you know exceeding the target has gone my head answer is no has fallen falling below the target has it gone has it is it impacting me negatively that my career growth is not happening answer is no that separation has happened in my mind i don't know if it's helpful or not but i thought yeah yeah i i get it i get it yeah one one way i was thinking was you know if you can while writing your uh, appraisal whatever you know uh, details if you can sort of step back and say did this person what did this person do to achieve the result so you're not like talking about what did i do but what did this individual do um and maybe that helps to separate yourself from that whatever the situation was and uh, that way you know you're you can be uh, honest about what the contribution was or wasn't there and uh, you're not directly participating in that outcome i wanted to bring a, a little bit more color to this we are talking about corporate world um and how do's and don'ts and why you know both ways whether you get a praise or you you don't uh, uh, get a praise still you know karma you have to do i wanted to bring something within daily work like when we do day to day job and if it is your passion or whatever it is um in my example it will be uh, playing violin and i played violin since my childhood um and i went through a lot of things where my grandmother taught and later on when i went to lalgudi sir who's one of the leading artists he said who taught you this like who who taught you so wrong everything is so wrong that's the first thing i got from him but that didn't um you know let me down uh, i really wanted to learn more so i kept calling him calling him calling him please teach me uh, somehow you know make some time teach me and his uh, this one thing that i remember of what he said is i was working for tcs at that time and he said 
you are going to give 100% or maybe 90% to TCS to work, but I need 120% from you to play violin. <laughs> and he didn't teach me. He refused to teach me. Uh, Krishna, you may understand what he's saying because you pr probably know who is Lal Jairam. Yep, yep, yep. Of course, yeah. I've heard the same sentiment from a lot of uh, Bay Area teachers. So actually, one of his nieces, Anuradha uh, Sridhar, is yes, in the Shridhar. Bay Area. She's a very popular violin teacher as well. And then a lot of parents, they are very eager and then tell her, oh, you should teach in the Lal Shishya Parampara. And then they go to her. And then she gets a commitment from them. Like your schoolwork itself is 30 to 40 hours. And I expect these kids to also do 30 to 40 hours. So make sure that you can sign up for this before, before coming into the class. And she takes in only the very serious students. So I can totally, totally uh, yeah. relate to that. Right. So it was very difficult. But I pursued for three months, calling him all the time. Finally, he agreed that one of his students would teach me. Um, now he's Vidwan uh, Vital Ramurthy. Um, so I did learn from him. But again, corporate world, right? People ask, you've done from Bitspilani and you're working for TCS and you can't go abroad. So that was my thing. And I came here. Um, so I lost, lost the opportunity to learn more, even though it was there within me to learn a lot of violin. Um, and then, you know, as fate goes, I had an accident and my two hands are no more working as they used to work before. And it took me about, I would say 10 years to even start my violin back. But, you know, it's so beautiful when you come to a equipoise, you know, when you come to a place where you don't think of the past and you don't think for the future and you just want to play violin, it is, it is the best part. And if somebody can come to that, and every day I try to do that, it's, it's not to you know, make somebody happy or uh, to show anybody anything, but just to come to a place where you can play. That itself is a big thing. So I think it takes a long time. It's very hard work. Um, it's, it's a lot of uh, you know, thoughts coming here or there. I could have done this, or I didn't do this, or I, it happened this, you know, all those thoughts will come. But the lesson that you learn is, you know, so much they had said, when, when I still see Lal Gudi sir going, he was so, I have to share this. When I played for him, he was like a mad lion in a cage. He was running this way and that way. And I couldn't understand why he was like that. It was because he, he felt, who taught her this in the wasted time? I think that's what was going on in his mind. That who wasted her time? And it was my grandmother, right? <laughs> who wasted her time and not teach her properly? So, so that was the power in his, in his mind. And his son still talks to me about it. <laughs> and we, we laugh about it. But, you know you have to think in those lines, like even when you want to do some passion, there are certain things that you need to follow. If like, when I say Alpana, she has so much passion. She's just dedicated for, for Vedanta. She has taken out all other things from her side and just focusing. So those are the things that are important, whether it is 
passion, your work or anything. So I just wanted to share this yeah. because I thought this was a perfect timing to, to share and, and, you know, grow, grow to do what your karma yoga is or your bhakti yoga is or even jnana yoga, understanding that it's not that we are doing. We are that powerful self, but we need to maintain that and keep doing the karma yoga. So. Thanks, Vijay. That's a very powerful story and uh, wonderful. Yes. Uh, actually, it, it, it takes takes it takes me back into lots of questions to ask, but then we'll take that uh, in another another contextual topic. We'll bring it back. Uh, I noticed, Kishore, you raised your hand. Yeah, you know, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing that, um, uh, which um, triggered a couple of other thoughts. I mean, this is a talk by Swami Ji, Guru, Guru Parananda, who... Uh, spoke about the roles of mind, right? So talks about how uh, mind has five, five different roles. W one is that of a um, perceptor, the, the one who understands um, sense perceptions or interpreting you know, sense perceptions. Second is that of a doer. Third is a receiver. Fourth um, is, is a storehouse of samskaras, right? The, the, our vasanas. And the fifth one is is also the instrument for meditation, right? So he talks about these five roles, all of this and the mind is doing, and we have to employ the mind, even for meditation, you have to still employ, it happens at the level of mind, right? So if you look at these five uh, roles that we uh, do on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis, now uh, the, the equipoise that we talk about, the samatum is also in the mind. So if you look at, uh, take the doer and the receiver, and we are, um, if, if you look at these two roles and how can that lead to Samatman? So the doer side, there are two things. One is, what do you do? What is the type of action? What is the right action? And how do you do it, right? So those are covered in, in Karma Yoga. And as the receiver, again, I think we've all spoken about this, how do you receive the fruits of action when it comes about, right? So both of these things, to me, the attitude leads to equanimity, right? So if you, if equipoise or equanimity is the goal, or at least an intermediate goal, let's put it that way, then understanding it along these lines of doership and, uh, uh, and receiving fruits of action, uh, that's where it, it kind of falls into the framework, uh, at least from a, uh, yeah, um, how, how it impacts the mind kind of a perspective. So I just want to point that out as an additional. Sure, can you repeat those five uh, things for the mind yeah. again? Yeah. On one, uh, the first is as a perceptor, right? Sense perception. So it, it interprets uh, sense inputs that are coming in. Um, second is a doer. Third is a receiver, right? So the receiver of fruits of action is also in the mind. Fourth is... Uh, as a storehouse of samskaras. So uh, the memories, um, our, our personality traits, everything, emotions, everything is playing out in the mind as well. The fifth one is the instrument for meditation. So all of these things, the mind, uh, mind is the instrument for all of these. So, um, and the equanimity that we, need, we feel is also there. So how do we, in the middle of doing all of this, um, find that equanimity. So again, uh, for equipoise, again, mind is at the core 
in equipoise, we go away from it. So how do we remove those thorns so that we can come back into that equipoise state? To me, if you look at it as a doer and as a receiver, Karma Yoga uh, uh, helps us uh, uh, understand how to do something and what to pick on, what type of work, uh, what type of action is the right action, and how do we receive the results. So if these two helps us greatly in staying back in that equipoise state so that there won't be any anxieties about when we do some work. Um, and overall, we, we stay in equipoise. So I, I know I come back to that. Uh, it seems to have struck a, a big chord in me, um, uh, this, this one word. Um, and to me, that has become an intermediate goal um, of staying in equipoise. And I, I, I keep coming back to that. Um, and how, how does it help us stay there? So that's very beautiful, Kishore. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. You know, Sonali, you have one responsibility which you cannot get rid of anymore. You have to join the Gita classes to ask powerful questions. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But uh, being a prime time in India, you know, sometimes it gets difficult on Sunday evenings to join the Gita class. But please, I really like to... Please reorient all your, all your other things and join. <laughs> but I really enjoy these sessions, you know, especially last year I could not attend very regularly, but uh, I'm really enjoying. And I, I just say whatever comes to my mind. <laughs> Don't take me very seriously all the time. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what, what, what really matters is whether, these, whether the questions that we all ask here and the answers that we get together... Is it helping us to open up another aha moment for, for other people, right? That's the whole point. The whole point is not about, oh, you can do this better or I can do this better. No, that's not the point. What is the takeaway that each one of us have from this discussion? You know, it could be a simple aha moment for, for our own self that we may not be able to articulate in words. That's perfectly fine. But someone has to trigger that. And, you know, today you have been the trigger for that. Thank you. Right. Oh, just one one addition to that is uh, the, the present moment uh, topic. It's about like a lot of meditation techniques are actually built on just staying in the present. There, there is like the whole mantra yoga and like uh, that type of meditation. But uh, for the secular crowd, the way meditation is packaged for the most part is uh, watch your thoughts like as though it's like a river flowing. You just stay in the present and then go. And then there is the Buddhist uh, one also about being mindful. A lot of that is again about just staying in the present, observe what's happening. Uh, and then one more thing is the Vipassana way of meditation, which is also the Buddhist tradition, uh, which also goes kind of this uh, secular way of just stay in the present, like only this moment is real and you are taking a breath. So that means you are alive. So just watch the breath and then stay in the present. So I thought that that very nicely ties with. Oh, yeah. Thing the present also applies to to the the meditation uh, routine. Uh, the, That's the, very true. The Buddhism way uh, of being mindful, being mindful. You know, so first is identify the problem, and uh, the uh, then something, then identify the problem, then how you perceive the problem, what is the cause of the problem, then how you, uh, then the cessation of the problem and the path for cessation of the problem. The path to cessation of the problem is being mindful. So being mindful is, I think, uh, what meditation is uh, takes us to. Yep. 
absolutely. Um, but you know, uh, the meditation topic will park it for the moment because there is one entire chapter called Dhyana Yoga in Gita that comes up soon, pretty soon after two more chapters. So we'll park it for the moment. Alpana? You know, I don't think we are going to the next shloka, right? So I just had one more, one more thing from again, Swami <laughs> SPG's lectures, because when I took detailed notes on just the, just this one, this is one lecture, you know, all the things that I'm sharing. So he, he says, uh, you know, what is their motto? Their motto is serving all sentient being, knowing them to be God. And he went on to explain how all four yogas are included in that that serving is karma yoga and then uh, um, serving in uh, serving sentient beings thinking them to be god is bhakti yoga and then uh, knowing them to be god is jnana yoga and uh, uh, when you are doing it with one focus that nishchayatmika buddhi and that is actually the Dhyana Yoga or Raja Yoga. So I thought that was a very powerful way of explaining just his motto. Um, it's actually definition of Karma Yoga, but how, uh, I, I think it was in response to the answer that can Karma Yoga lead to uh, self-realization? He said, uh, Vivekananda said yes, and this is how he explained, because the motto is the Karma Yoga part, but it, it includes all the elements uh, of self-realization. Thank you. You missed your notes. You did not send those notes to us for cheat sheet. So please <laughs> share it to us. <laughs> they are all on my book. <laughs> I've read all the notes. <laughs> okay. But now I have a question on that. Um, so you you told all the four ways: karma yoga, jnana yoga, bhakti yoga, and uh, raja yoga. Do you? Do you feel that at one particular moment, one is stronger than other, or you're using all of them, or you're using mixture of some, or? I think uh, as Swami Vivekananda say, best is to use actually mixture of them and whatever appears. But I think everyone has tendency, a stronger tendency towards one, but that one helps explain the other three. So like I am more on Gnan part, but that's how I have understood uh, how Karmayo can be done in the first place to me. That's how it appears. If I have to start from Karmayoga, it will be very hard because temperamentally I feel after understanding, I feel that it can be done. So uh, each one has one uh, preferred one, but you have to do all four. Yeah, just to answer the question, but yeah, um, again, SPG, uh, our favorite guru, he talks about Vivekananda and, uh, and uh, Ramakrishna uh, himself. And he says, Ramakrishna was all Bhakti Yoga outside, but all uh, Jnana Yoga inside. Whereas Vivekananda was the opposite. He was all Jnana Yoga outside, but Bhakti Yoga within. So <clears throat> I think, you, you know, as Akka said, you know, it's, it's a combination of, of, of these. Personally, I mean, as, as I started to kind of get into Vedanta, I thought <clears throat> Jnana Yoga was it and the rest of it is all irrelevant almost. But having now come to sort of detailed reading of chapter two, I mean, I feel like all the ahas are actually, I mean, if you leave aside the who am I aha, which is an ultimate aha, 
all the other ahas to in my mind <clears throat> as of now it will change i'm sure <clears throat> are in the karma yoga so i think it's also changing but at some level i think they all sort of work uh, in conjunction <clears throat> just one other small, just one other small point i wanted to make uh, in the context which where i was kind of massively confused about karma yoga and goals i mean or is it okay to have you know goals desires i mean they're different words <clears throat> again swami spg uh, back to him he kind of uses a very interesting word he says you should do your karma uh, obviously you need a goal until you get, until you while you're doing the 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 action stay focused on the goal once you have completed the action just let go of the goal because now you've done what you could have done and now you have to just focus on the uh, result which is again in not in your control so like prasad the buddhi you accept it <clears throat> and then he uses one other interesting word which i which kind of resonated with me he says when you do action do not do it in an uninterested manner do it in a disinterested manner so there's a subtle sort of difference uninterested is almost i don't care disinterested is i'm doing it to the best of my abilities and i will i have no i have no sort of selfish motive behind this uh, i will accept whatever results come result comes my way so this play on disinterested and uninterested was something that that sort of uh, really resonated with me beautiful thanks Ed. no very well said so just to add on to that the the for disinterested i've also heard you do action for the sake of action action is its own reward there is no other separate reward to come that just happens according to all the other karma and the world and everybody else's things but when you do the action the action you did this its own reward uh, just to uh, touch back on also the previous point that alpana mentioned there was so beautiful how swami spg puts all these things that was one of my uh, new learnings as well from reading is that earlier it used to be karma yoga bhakti yoga used to be like mechanical engineering chemical engineering you choose one path and you just go down that uh, but but later you realize that everything becomes like a percentage of each thing like even in bhakti yoga when you are doing bhajan you are actually singing or you are doing something where which becomes kind of karma yoga and then the if you interpret the meaning it becomes jnana yoga and then in the other uh, yogas also you can see the other parts coming <clears throat> one one interesting thing that i see is that uh, one explanation that really helps karma yoga think of more as like bringing the body uh, thing and then the bhakti yoga is for the mind jnana yoga is for the the intellect and hatha yoga is like the discipline bringing all of these things together and so on so this is the mind body intellect thing that keeps coming back for the three yogas but every action will have multiple percentages of it uh, and we we naturally tend towards some people will have like bhakti and they'll go lord shiva lord vishnu or lord murga and so on they can totally relate to that and then everything uh, or or that example of everybody becomes lord hanuman uh, mode and for somebody else it could be oh i i am like very busy i have to work 12 hours a day or or it's like a very hard work that's that is just like physical manual work and even that can now be converted to a way of worship and uh, self realization i thought was just too profound and beautiful um, yeah well said uh, krishna so um, you know my my quick uh, my quick comment on on this part of it right which is uh, uh, which seems to be uh, a very interesting uh, topic whether you know what, what is the predominance of what and uh, which yoga that 
people predominantly have. So one of the traps that we could fall under, which I, I want to uh, recommend all of us to start thinking about is, uh, you know, we will read sometimes, say that, oh, if you are an emotional person, bhakti yoga is the right thing. And if you are energetic person, karma yoga is the right thing and things like that. I think, you know, it's very important to understand the meaning of those words when people say that, you know, otherwise, you know, we will categorize ourselves as, oh, I'm, you know, more, uh, more action oriented. Therefore, karma yoga is my path and we'll make a mis mistake of it. Uh, ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, you, you may be uh, somebody else inside. You really don't even know what, uh, what original nature, what we have. So even if we, there's a predominance of, you know, quote unquote, emotional, emotional person within you or an intellectual person within you or an action oriented person within you, you know, please do not take those things and say, I am going to follow this path and please do not set yourself onto that particular path. You have to experiment with all the three paths. Then you will naturally, you know, like a pickle automatically soaking in, you will start gravitating towards something much more easily. And that doesn't come in one day or two days. You, know, you cannot sit under a tree or in your room and determine from tomorrow saying that, you know, I am going to take this path. That is not going to happen. That's not, please do not make that mistake. Then you may have to unlearn or unrewind and all that for some, some more time. So it will be a mix of all the things. So please, you know, take time to experiment with all the three paths and understand your true nature a little bit more better. And before you say, looks like I'm at this point of time, I'm oriented more towards it and move on. For example, you know, let me share my personal example, right? The last four years has been, quote unquote, uh, uh, predominantly Jnana uh, 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 Yoga centric. In the past, it was more of a Karma Yoga centric for me. But what I have realized is in the last one year, I have become more of Bhakti Yoga centric, actually. And I do not know how that change has happened. It has just happened. Right now, do I see a dissonance? Answer is no. There's no dissonance. But what I'm saying is that, you know, I am changing and I am changing. And because of the changes, what I need to adapt has changed for me. Just, just one very sort of uh, quick point uh, in modern, modern nature of an example. So I can't remember who it was, but somebody gave this example of a moving train, which you're trying to board, right? So the moving train, he kind of uses the analogy of... Uh, the ultimate goal, the Atma, if you will. Uh, the, the fact that you're running you know, alongside and you have to come alongside the train to get in is the action part. Uh, and the fact that you know, you're praying to God at the same time, that you, know, you kind of get into the train is the Bhakti part. And you're extremely focused. You, can't, you cannot take one misstep, right? And that's kind of your focus, meditation, whatever you want to call it. So just an example of just a nice kind of uh, play of, uh, you know, what we've all seen uh, as to how it fits into this framework. All right. I think with that, it's 7.30, uh, 1. And uh, we are still at Shloka 47. Absolutely fantastic. You know, devoting one and a half hours is probably not sufficient for this Shloka. But the next Shloka will probably take as much time as well. So we are going to continue with 48, 49, 50 for the next week. Okay, I don't think that we will uh, want to progress any more than you know, going through these three things before. So let's do that. And with that, we get to our concluding prayer. And today, I hope you remember that we are going to start off with a new Shanti Mantra. I shared that uh, uh, with, with all of us uh, in, the, in the group, Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha. And uh, let's... Uh, Let's chant that and conclude our session.
सर्वे सर्वे सन्तु सर्वे भद्राणि पश्यन्तु शांति 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 श्री गुरुभ्यो नम हरि ओ Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and see you next weekend again. Hariyo. Hariyo. Okay. Hariyo. 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 Thank you.